Hey, and welcome to the Girl Live Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, LaToya Addy, and thanks for tuning in. Each week, I'll have conversations that give you real life tools to get clear, feel aligned, and be confident so that you can break through anything that holds you back from living life to your fullest potential. So we are here today with Meredith Copley, and I just want her to take a moment to introduce herself and tell us just a little bit about her. Yeah. Hey, um, thanks for having me, LaToya. I'm glad to be here. Um, My name is Meredith Copley, and my husband and I have lived in the Smyrna, Atlanta area for seven and a half years. We moved here from Washington, D.C., where we were for 10 years and we've got four young children all elementary age this is the one year all four of my kids are in the same school the one and only year (laughs) and um we're um yeah we love the area we um are just big proponents of being involved in your community and being involved in your local schools and my husband and i have um served around efforts at our church and also tried to be involved at our kids elementary school and so um, my husband is also um, I guess we should say we because I'm also a co-owner we are small business owners in the community and um, yeah so that's me and I did not know that you guys were small business owners what is the name of your business so it's national print wholesale um, and my husband started it with another guy um, about three and a half years ago and then we just bought his former partner out this past summer during the pandemic so that was one thing good that came out of the pandemic for us. Um, but yeah, it's a print wholesale company. So they um, service kind of the Southeast region of the US with any kind of print needs. That is so awesome. <laughs> yes. And so today we're going to be talking about um, pretty much one of the things that really made me gravitate towards asking you to be on the podcast is just your heart. Um, for people. Um, And I see a lot of the stuff that you post and just kind of the interactions and just how you're really intentional about trying to push past your um, kind of like yourself and your comfortability. Mm-hmm. And so um, today we wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about those efforts, um, especially as it pertains to, um, you know, the whole, um, like all of the recent events that have happened um, and just kind of the turmoil that we are going through in our nation um, with race. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really wanted to hear your heart and just have you share some of that. And so um, wanted to start off with um, kind of when do you recall when you really um, like knew that you were um, white or that your skin color are there the differences in skin color? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I'm so glad you asked it. I feel like, um, you know, as white people, these are things that we sort of have to sift through in our own life experience. And for me, um, I can remember a couple things. Um, 
The first one being um, when I was probably in around second or third grade, I remember being um, at my grandmother's house and like, um, I can't remember exactly how she's related, but she's like a second cousin and she was dating a guy and he was going, he had recently come and some of the family had met him. And all I knew was that the way that they were talking about him, it was not good. And um, I came to find out, find out later that he was black and that this was um, the reason that some of my extended family were um, were, were talking about him and, and, and it not being a good thing for my cousin to be, or my second cousin to be dating him. And I just remember that like really stuck in my mind, trying to like work that out. And the second thing that I remember about this same time is I wanna say it was around third grade, we were, learning about the civil war and social studies. And I remember we had learned, I grew up in Texas. Um, and so this is a partly a, a commentary on my Texas heritage, but also um, I just remember learning that Texas was part of the South and we had learned that the South was fighting for slavery. And um, I remember that registering with me and coming into the kitchen when I got home from school, I remember where I was standing. I remember what my mom was doing and I looked at her and I was like we were wrong and just like you know how when you realize something and it just shatters like this idea of a picture of I don't know whatever um framework I had um was definitely like rattled so those are the two kind of like memories that stick in my mind that realizing like oh I was white I've inherited this white heritage there is a lot of problematic things with the history behind that so and it's it's um I didn't know that you're originally from Texas <laughs> uh, my family it, like my grandmother and her family are originally from Texas too okay <laughs> uh, and our family has relocated most of them to the Houston area so oh, okay awesome um, it's funny that we have that in common but it is really um, interesting that like around school age is when you kind of really started seeing um, and the differences. Yeah. One from your own family mm -hmm. and then from um, our educational system. Correct. Yeah. Um, and well, I definitely want to dig into that a little bit. Um, so when would you say, like on the flip side, when would you say that maybe you either recall or observe that your skin color came with um, certain advantages? Yeah, I um, honestly, it was probably later on in elementary school. Um, I just remember there were a few times where um, I just felt I could see favoritism happening. Um, and it wasn't like anywhere in particular, nothing that sort of stands out to me, not until I was older, but I just remember understanding that I was getting a benefit of the doubt. And I was maybe even getting, um, like I remember one time in middle school, we were, playing on the side of the playground and we were not supposed to be in one area and we were all like braiding each other's hair or something. I don't know. But, um, a group of, um, 
black students and in Texas, we also had a, a, a lot of Hispanics in our school were in this one area um, and they got in trouble, but we just were asked to move to the other side. And I remember feeling like, I mean, that kind of, that was just one example of a, of a lot of things around that time that I was picking up on. Um, so, yeah. And would you say that the elementary school um, that you went to was really like mixed or was it like more majority? Um... It was, I, I did go to a pretty diverse, um, um, I went public school all the way through and where I grew up in Dallas, it was pretty diverse. We had, um, so I always grew up around um, people of color and um, with different racial and ethnic backgrounds. There was still just like very much a divide between those groups of people. Yeah, and I could definitely see that um, in Texas. And so I'm originally grew up in California and I'll probably say that I didn't necessarily notice like a divide until I really moved to like the South. Yep. And that was like really some, it was a culture shock to see so many um, people of color. Yeah. um, Especially congregated all in like certain pockets. Yep. But um, it was definitely, I will say that that was one um, shock for me. I have actually one example that just came to me um, as you were talking that I can't believe I didn't remember, but one of the times that I remember feeling like super upset about like racial prejudice was my senior year of high school. They do like, um, what are those things called um, where you get certain categories, like most likely to, I forget what they're called. Oh yeah. Where they um, like basically, um, Oh, I don't know what it's called. I know. Do you know what I'm talking about though? Like all the different yes, like okay. most likely to be rich and famous, most yes. likely to be successful. Yes. Yes. Okay. So me and my friend Jeremy both got M- Mr. and Mrs. Congeniality and he was black and I was white. And this was at a senior year dance at prom. And um, so we got our picture professionally taken by like the prom committee, you know, and both of us were together. And because we got that, we were given the pictures for free. So I took them home and my mom had them up on the, um, on the refrigerator. And um, we got a lot of feedback from my family about having that picture of me and my friend, Jeremy, who had won Mr. and Mrs. Congeniality. And um, I think it was publicized in our like local, like, advocate or whatever there was just I remember within my own family not not my nuclear family but my extended family there was a lot of worry about them being upset about that and I remember feeling really upset about that yeah and it's crazy that you um you say that because you don't I feel like as children growing up and kind of like as you're shaping your own identity, especially like around your center, uh, your senior year, mm-hmm. it's kind of like you pull from your family, mm-hmm. um, like their ideas and those become ingrained in you before you really go off to really dig through um, what your own belief systems are going to be and how you're going to really proceed in the world. Yeah. Um, And so how would you say that you are talking to like your friends and your family and especially like your children um, about racism? You know, I feel like um, 
you mentioned just everything going on in the past year and like it's been so like it's been a tool in the sense that like just what has been going on in the past year has been such a um just a platform to talk to my kids and um i'm gonna move because my dogs are i'm sorry <laughs> um it's been a platform to talk to my kids about what's going on in the world. And so as much as like we're able to, my husband and I will say like, Here, here's what's happened and here's what's going on. And let me tell you what mom and dad think about that. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that has been so wonderful for us as we've moved to Atlanta is that we like, I'm looking left, my next door neighbor to the left um, are an Indian family. My next door neighbors to the right are an African-American family. And my kids go to a diverse school. So in a sense, we like get to talk about these things more frequently because we are experiencing them through our friends' eyes. We are hearing about them through their experience. And so um, I guess the way that I would say we are trying um, to do this is to talk about it, for it to not be a taboo subject. I want um, my kids to, to have a better understanding of the history of our country around race than I did. And so I feel like we do a lot of just intentional conversations around correcting some of the narratives that my husband and I grew up with. Um, you mean, even both he and I talk a lot, like we both, instead of like the South civil rights issue, it was a state's rights issue. We both grew up with that. And he, my husband grew up in South Carolina. So um, yeah, so I think for us, it is just correcting narratives, talking about it, using what is going on in the world as teaching tools to say like, this is happening. and. And we're not going to, I think as white people, we have such privilege in that we don't have to really, you know, you've heard a lot or you've seen on Facebook and the social media platforms a lot. I'm not really into politics or I don't really follow. Um, I have a couple of family members who've said a lot lately. I don't, I don't watch the news. I just can't watch the news. And I just, I think for our family, I want us to know it's a privilege that we might not have to watch the news or we might not have to follow politics because it doesn't really affect us mm. as it would other people. And I think um, for us, like one of the phrases my husband and I say a lot, we heard years ago when we first got to know um, our dentist, Dr. Jaha Howard say, you know, we have to get to the place where we care just as much about other people's kids as we care about our own. And so that has been sort of a driving like, sentiment and how we think about talking about race and talking about privilege and talking about is um, we have a responsibility to care about those things because we care about all the people that God has made. So. Yes. And you said a couple of things that I kind of want to um, talk through a little bit more. Um, first, um, because you mentioned this it was the last thing you said but you mentioned God so I definitely wanted to kind of um hear what you had to say like how do you feel that your belief system mm -hmm. is really shaping the way that you proceed um 
you know, with racial issues, not only in your home, but like in the community, because I know that there are a lot of people who use the Bible to kind of perpetuate hate. Um, And so I wanted to kind of get your um, take on that. That's such a great question. Well, I think, you know, first it starts very simply that I think we were all created by God and we are, um, we have innate value and worth because of that. So nobody that I interact with is a mere mortal. They are intimately known and loved by God. So that frames everything, even the people that I most vehemently disagree with. Um, but I would say that where I have grown, um, is that in the sense that like, I think about politics and especially policies around race and racial issues as a tool in which to love my neighbor. And so um, when I think of that in that greater context, I'm thinking about the broader impact of the implications of justice and equity and, um, and, and also religious freedom. And, um, and so for me, I think you can't really open the Bible without running across, um, issues of justice and issues of equity and that these things matter to the heart of God. Um, I also think that scripture talks a lot about just bearing with one another. I mean, scripture says, how, how will they know, um, how will they know that I love you? How will they know that I love them? by how you love me, by how you love one another. And so I think, you know, I can't, I'm not, it's a really hollow, it's a hollow um, effort to say, I love someone, but I, by my words, but without caring about how um, the policies I support impact them personally. And so, yeah, for me, I, I think it has been wanting to understand how my views around policies and racial issues um, impact people and is it being used as a tool for good and a tool to love my neighbor. Um, I think that lately we have seen um, a real, a dangerous, um, if I'm just talking about the last election, there has been a danger to have um, sort of this adoration around this person and, um, this personality. And, um, and I think that it, that is really dangerous. And, um, and as Christians, we need to be, um, we need to be concerned about that. And I think that, um, oftentimes we excuse, well, I think, you know, there's a lot of things in politics that, people won't even consider based on one policy issue. And I think, you know, we've been lazy around that because we haven't wanted to understand and lean into that and say, okay, what is the, what are some of the bigger issues that are going on underneath these issues? And even if I, you know, take abortion, for example, even if I consider myself and I do pro-life, you know, um, I want that ethic to be reflected across all areas of life, you know, and, and how can I have conversations that talk about 
the bigger issues on that issue underneath it so that I can move the needle in a way um, that is not, um, I guess I would just say, I can move the needle in a way that's more holistic and more, um, yeah, kind of, yeah, more holistic, I guess I would say. I think yeah. we just have to be careful about personalities of leaders. It, it, I definitely agree. I believe that leadership is definitely important, especially when it comes to um, politics. And I feel like a lot of people take on roles or responsibilities um, to get accolades, um, titles, and the power that comes with it. Um, and I feel like sometimes in Washington, they are really detached from the people that they represent. Um, and not to say that it is one-sided. I feel like um, a lot of times we, the people, um, which stated in the constitution, we forget that, you know, politics is a representation of us. Yeah. Um, and so we have to exercise, you know, our right to vote, to put leaders in place that align with our beliefs, but also that um, to not only put them in, office, but to then hold them accountable. Right. So there's parts that we have to do um, in our democracy to make sure that it is functioning properly. So I think that we can't put all of the blame on the policymakers that we, um, as a community of people, that we also need to take ownership. So I definitely agree with um, you on that. Um, and I also like what you said about really um, while you have like one view about something to really understand like how that policy, like all of the underlining things that go into that policy, mm -hmm. um, that I think that that's really important um, because to me, I feel like with abortion, there's a lot of things that you can unpack. Like, what is this person, like, why is this person making this choice? Like, Absolutely. Um, like, is it constrained resources, um, you know, lack of support, all of these things that go into that. Um, and so I think that that is really um, insightful that you said that to really dig into what's underneath. And I think that as policymakers, that's why it's so important um, for our politicians to hear from us because yes. um, they have to hear what your viewpoint is. Yeah. Um, because they're only one person right. and, you know, they're in Washington, they're talking with other people, but they have their own belief systems. I think that we need to kind of use our voice and advocate and kind of just remind them, this is what your community is saying. Like, yeah. these are the things that we, <laughs> hello. <laughs> um, and so I think that that's really um, important. And so, um, I wanted to kind of go over a stat with you. So according to Pew um, Research Center, four out of four Black parents say that they worry about their kids getting shot at some point um, compared to white parents who are only about one out of five. So how does this make you feel as a parent? I mean, it makes me devastated. And if you had asked me five years about that statistic, I would have been like, no that's not right. 
Um, but in my personal life, just um, having more relationships with mothers of color who have sons that are black, I, I know that that is true. And um, one of the, I think probably like linchpin moments in my own personal story of kind of unpacking my understanding about race was my friend Andrea invited me to be in this group called Be the Bridge for Racial Reconciliation. It's a faith-based group um, kind of committed to meeting together and unpacking these issues. But um, she told the story of her son. She's the mom of three. They live in Atlanta. And um, just like down the road from me, her son, who was probably like 14 or 15 at the time, 14 maybe, um, but he is, you know, he's, he's a tall kid. So he probably looks bigger or older than he is. She told the story about he and a few friends after school were playing ding dong ditch in one of the neighborhoods down off Atlanta road, you know, just being silly, eating their snicker bars, running up to a friend of a friend's house and running away. And they got the address wrong on one of them. And a dad happened to be home because his wife had recently had a baby and I guess it was dusk and he saw a couple few black kids in the front of the yard and he um, pulled a gun. I mean, he, nothing happened, praise God, but he came out with a gun and, um, and she told me that story. And I think it was partly knowing her and knowing her family and being like, how could that happen? I know those kids, you know, but realizing that this was a legitimate fear for her to have. And, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it devastates me and it's heartbreaking and it's real. Yes. And I, I love that you say that knowing them, cause I think that community is really important. Um, mm-hmm. my question is always, um, like that I have in mind when I kind of think through that at, for my own kids, um, is I see how people love my children. Yes. Um, and people of all different racial backgrounds and ethnicities. And it's kind of like, okay, when do my kids go from these loving um, black boys to a threat to society? Um, And I kind of think like, when does that shift? Does it shift when they hit a certain height? Does it, you know, like, when does that change? And I haven't been able to find a real good answer, um, but it's just like, th- those are one of the questions that I have burning in my mind. Like, I just see how they're loved. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, when, when will society switch on them? And mm-hmm. I feel like that that's, um, if people really took the time to really know their neighbors, yes. Yes. Um, I feel like we wouldn't be placed in a lot of the situations um, yeah. that we're in. So it, I think that it's really important um, that you are building relationships yes. with um, the people around you. And so kind of talking through that, what can, um, like, what can you do to challenge white privilege, like on a personal level, and then kind of like in the community space. I know you mentioned you were part of Be the Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, I think it, it starts in simple ways. And you were just talking about it by choosing to know and um, understand the people that live in my community. 
So I think, you know, we get in our comfortable little patterns where we walk into a meeting and we see the two people we know and we just go sit next to them. And um, I think I've really, you know, in the last four or five years, really just seen just the value of getting to know people who have, that look differently than me, that have different experience than I do, um, because relationship brings understanding. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, differences fade. They're not as stark within the context of relationship because you know the person. And um, so I think it's important to just start with that, you know, fostering relationships, fostering experiences with people that um, are in your community, but might not have the exact background or um, experience that you do. So that's one. Um, And then I think, you know, one of the things I've been just for not only me personally, but just for our kids is kind of taking inventory on um, what influences our family, you know, Um, who, what shows are we watching? Um, Do we have people that we admire and listen to that are anything other than white? Um, Are we reading books by diverse characters? Um, You know, are we um, making sure kind of what we talked about before that we are doing the work of understanding the history behind some of the issues that we learn about or hear about. Um, You know, we have so many resources here in Atlanta that that's been so great. Um, But also I would say just as far as combating racism, I think it's so, um, I think it's really important to elevate people's voices, um, you know, people of color's voices in in my life. and in my kids' life, that we we have we have a lot of room to learn and to listen, and just to try to understand. And so, for me, that is making sure that I'm following people on Instagram that um, have been in this space a long time, and I have a lot to learn from. And then, also in the community, but when we do have privilege to say, you know, who should do this or who should do that you know, being, being somebody that says, like, let's get a person in here that has a different experience than us that um, can speak to this. And they are, um, you know, they're just a lot more credible here than I am. So, um, so I think that is one of the things that I feel more um, just called to do in my own personal life in the last few years is trying to be someone who elevates um, voices. And um, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And so um, you mentioned kind of following people on Instagram and what are some other ways that you would say that you're elevating um, voices of people of color? Well, I felt very, um, you know, social media is, there are some really good things and really bad things about it. (laughs) But um, I just feel that, for me personally, a lot of how my um, understanding about race changed in the last five or six years was because people that I respected shared an article or shared um, a link to a person and I respected them. And so I would read the article and sit with it. And, um, and it really, it was because of their sort of bravery of sharing those things with on their platform or with me that um, 
really gave me space to ponder and think about it. And so I personally feel um, if there's something that would be so helpful as a community to consider, I want to, I want to be part of sharing that message. Um, I know not everyone feels that way um, and that's okay. Um, but that's one of the things that I feel um, just inclined to do as much as it's helpful for them. Um, I think practicing, um, practicing humility um, around, it's really hard. It's really hard to feel like you didn't really understand something or you might not have the full picture. Um, the older I get, the harder it is to do that. And um, so I would say for me, practicing that in front of my kids and in front of just my friends um, has been something that I um, think is important. And then, you know, like speaking out, I mean, my, my family and I, um, we felt really called um, to go and march this summer and to make a statement about um, kind of where we stood on certain issues to stand with our brothers and sisters of color. Um, and I think that, you know, there are times when you need to. Um, so I guess those are a few of the things that, does that help? Yes, it does. And um, you mentioned kind of like holding yourself like accountable. Yeah. And I think that's really a big component. Mm -hmm. um, and not only uh, for white people, but black people as well. Um, I think creating the space. Um, I like how you said that people, you know, you respected people and they shared um, articles and things with you. I think that it is twofold. Um, being um, receptive and having an open heart to really have those conversations and really removing some of the defenses mm -hmm. to kind of have those tough conversations mm -hmm. um, and know when a person is genuinely coming from a place of love and trying to really understand yeah. um, instead of really like trying to, um, like I really am not about the cancel culture. Like I feel like sometimes I just feel like it's too much um, yes. because I mean, the only way that you really come out of ignorance mm -hmm. is for someone to really like call you out on it. Yeah. And then for you to kind of dig through the whole like process of really understanding. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like, you know, if you are called out and then you kind of still want to be ignorant, you know, then I understand the council culture, but I don't like yes. as a one and done, I feel like, you know, there is space to have um, conversations and to educate. Like I Absolutely. always come from a place of, you know, like let's educate ourselves. Um, yeah. let, let's have conversations. And sometimes those conversations definitely are tough, but I love how you said that, you know, they created the space and then they were brave and you were also brave, um, you know, to, to have those conversations. So I think that that's really, um, important. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and I wanted to kind of talk through a lot of people don't really say white supremacy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like, oh no, like don't, don't, yeah. don't say that word. Um, yeah. But I think another way to kind of really think through that is kind of like saying that you're kind of anti-human. 
um, because you really are demeaning one race and kind of belittling them and dehumanizing them based off of their color. And so how would you say that this belief system um, or that people that hold this belief system are really bad for not only white people, but humankind as a whole? Wow, that's a good question. You know, I think I always, um, I'm still learning so much about this, but one of the things that's been so helpful for me to keep in mind is just race in general is a social construct, you know, and that this was developed by humans as a way to categorize based on value. And um, that, I mean, going back to my Christian faith, that is not how God made us. Um, He said that we were all made in his image, period. And so to me, it's helpful to continue to think through, like, this is something that we've created. And if you kind of go down that theory, it's like, well, if they just, just, you know, if you, if you are an adherent to that theory, or if that's part of um, the way you think through this, then, you know, God forbid somebody flip switch their mind on what they thought the social, social construct was and the rank of that, because you could, you could be flipped to the bottom, you know, and this is, this is what's inherently wrong with that. And, and I think it also just totally undermines this um, idea, like, you know, thank God, God made us all different. Like how boring would it be that we were all the same, you know, and had all the same interests and the same giftedness and he didn't. And so it's, you're undermining this idea of this beautiful, um, just mosaic of, of individual humans that I believe, you know, all, um, our images and mirror the, the distinctness of God. And so we're missing out on, um, we're missing out on all of that and what it has to offer by not, um, appreciating it. So, yeah. And I think, you know, how dangerous it is like to, to be able to value a certain type of person more than another. I mean, that's just, I think it's just evil. (laughs) Yes. And I feel like, um, you mentioned one thing that just stood out where like race is like a human construct. Um, I'm reading a book right now called um, Cast. Oh, yes. Um, The Origins, I think it's The Origins of Our Discontents. Yes. Um, And she talks about that. Um, And one of the things that she says is um, she kind of goes through a scenario where she's like, you know, a hierarchy based on height. Yeah. And she talks about how, um, you know, that's pretty much people think how absurd it is to say like, okay, people who are taller are part of the higher caste. People are who are shorter are part of the lower caste. Um, and how ridiculous it sounds mm-hmm. like, because that is something that you're born with. You can't yep. choose to be taller. Right. Um, but that's the same token is that's what race is. Yeah. Um, we basically 
that's kind of like the caste system, the unspoken caste system that we have in the United States. Yeah. Um, like a hierarchy based on the color of your skin. Yeah. Um, how um, that, that book is just really funny because um, like some of the stuff that you kind of think of, you're like, you know, I didn't know that Caucasian, the word Caucasian came from a scientist who um, was studying like skulls and he literally gave a name to one skull from the region that it came. And that's where the terminology Caucasian came from. So Mm -hmm. it's really interesting because I think a lot of times the knowledge, um, like really understanding some of these things really helps. Um, It's so true. Yeah. And so um, can you share like books that you're reading or that you have read um, that really are like challenging like your privilege? So one of the ones if for especially for your um, white listeners that I would just recommend so much, it's called White Awake and um, it's written by a pastor, um, but you don't have to actually be a person of faith to um, to read it. And he basically walks through his process of becoming aware of his own privilege as being a white person. One of the opening chapters talks about how his buddy from college, he was Indian, was getting married and um, he, they had a big Indian wedding and this guy, Daniel was coming to it and they had all the ceremonies and part of it. And he goes, God, I just, Daniel was telling his Indian friend, I just love this. You know, this is so great. I wish like I, we had culture, you know, I wish that we had things like this in culture and his Indian friend looked at him and said, Oh, you, you have culture. You're just surround you. It's just the only thing, you know, so to you, there's nothing different than it. And, um, and he just goes on to really help it was so helpful for me and my husband. One of the things he talks about is just who have you ever had a teacher or a mentor that had a different skin color than you, you know? And, um, so that was, that's one that I would just really recommend if, um, you're wanting to understand more about that, about just privilege and this whole idea of white privilege. And so that's one I loved cast. I, um, I, um, loved have you um have you heard of why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria um I think my son read that book I think they either read it or it's on their list for um he's in project lit yeah um, oh yeah yeah so I think that they either I think they have read it yes going to read it so it's really good and it's really if you're a data person that's just trying to say like how are we portraying race in society? That's a really helpful one. It, it just doesn't have bias. It's just like, this is the data around this. Um, so I've really enjoyed that one. Um, and then an author named Austin Channing Brown. Um, she's written a few books that I recommend. Um, and the one that I would also recommend is a book called Be the Bridge. Um, and it talks about how to have these difficult conversations, which to me is where I think um, so much of the progress can be made. Like you were speaking about before, um, you know, I'm not about cancel culture and somebody who comes earnestly in wanting to understand, but is just saying like, here, here's where I am and here's my understanding now. Um, 
I, I think that is a great place to be. And um, Latasha's book was super helpful in starting those conversations and doing it in a way that's productive. Um, so I, um, so I really recommend that one. Um, and then I love Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, I've started, uh, my, one of my friends, Beth, gave me his journal. He has like an accompanying journal that goes with it that also has you kind of process your own things as you read the book. And um, that's been really, really good. Those are definitely some um, good recommendations. And I'll share um, the list um, with the listeners um, as well. And so I know you have like a wealth of books and then you kind of mentioned some people. So who would you say is your biggest role model that has shaped who you are today? I would say, um, well, I probably have two. One is Latasha Morrison, um, who is a friend and started this program called Be The Bridge. I think um, I just so appreciated that. I appreciate people that instead of, I can, I can be the type of person that is just like, forget it, I'm bitter, I'm angry. I don't wanna deal with it. And, um, and I understand for sure why a lot of people can feel that way, but instead she has turned that into, um, let's figure out a way to listen and love one another. And so I just love how, um, how she's done that in her life and how she's just used her platform to, um, to try to really kind of educate people, but help people get to know one another through this, through relationship and building bridges instead of, um, instead of walls. Um, and then I would say, um, I, I don't know. I have so many, I would say that, um, uh, do you know the, the writer Carlos Whitaker? And the name doesn't ring a bell. Okay. He has kind of been writing in his space and he's on Instagram and he, um, has been, he is involved in the white evangelical Christian church. And he has just been really speaking to these issues of race in a way that, um, is really instructive and he is just really humble. And um, I just really appreciate that about his, his approach. Um, yeah, so those would be two of them. Okay, and so I have two more questions. Okay. Um, so what does being a change maker mean to you? It's a great question. I think when you um, sent me that question, I was thinking about it and I'm like, well, I think you have to first identify where you're planted. My mom used to always say bloom where you're planted, you know? And so for me, I think it's like, okay, where has God put me in this world? He's put me in Smyrna, Georgia, West side of Atlanta, you know, um, involved in my family and my neighborhood in this school system um, with this church group. And so for me, that's where it starts. And so it's being a change maker within, um, my circle of influence. So, okay. What's my sphere of influence? Those are my people. What are the issues that are going on that matter in the, in that sphere of influence? And so for me, you know, it's identifying some of those things and then sort of thinking through, okay, what can I do, um, 
to be a part of, of helping. And so, you know, I kind of go through that process and my husband and I have sort of decided that, okay, like we're going to, we're going to live in this neighborhood. We're going to love the people that live right around us. We're going to love the school that my kids go to. We're going to try to support and, um, support the, the, the school and the, in the leadership there and their teachers. And we're going to try to recognize the needs of the community and try to be, um, somebody that can be part of helping that. And most of that really is, is by having relationships. And, um, I've said this at the beginning of, um, our talk, but, you know, I think through what Dr. Howard said, you know, how can I care not just about my kids, but all the kids, um, how can I move from, I mean, every parent cares about their kid most, that's just being a parent, but right. how can I, you know, move beyond that to see like, okay, these things matter. And so um, understanding those issues, we have two friends that are on the school board. And so how can I help them support them as they're trying to make changes that will really affect a lot of people in my community? Um, I think that providing us, you know, to me, so much of a change maker, I am a hospital. I have like, I love hospitality. And so I, um, I, I just want people to feel welcome and to feel known and to feel loved. And I know that, um, in my community and at PTA meetings at my kid's school or wherever that is, I want them to know that they are worthy of being known and they have gifts and insights that are valuable. And so, um, I just want to bring them in. I want a really big table with a lot of people there and everyone bringing their giftedness and their insights. Because I think when we do it in the context of relationship, like we've been talking about this whole time, we can really make some progress. And I think we'll feel more like God created us to feel, which is, um, known and loved and valuable and useful and all those things. So, and, and that is definitely, um, I love that. Um, and so the last question to kind of round us off and you kind of touched on some things, um, but what, what advice would you give to, um, a mom who is really coming to kind of, understand her privilege or kind of struggling with how to talk with her kids or kind of have those types of relationships. So someone who um, maybe is at the beginning of the journey, um, what advice would you give to her? Oh my goodness. I just want to, I want to give her a hug and I want to just tell her that um, I, I know what that feeling is like. I was there, you know, five or six years ago and um, I would tell her to, um, to, to be curious. I would say to put on a posture of curiosity. Um, I think it's important to stop with like, I'm going to dig in and try to prove my, why my point is right here, you know, um, which goodness that has been the culture this past year, but to say like, interesting, I don't feel that way. I want to understand why you do could you help me, um, understand why you feel that way? And, you know, oftentimes even just saying like, if there's anything that you recommend reading or watching, you know, gosh, we live in a day and age where there's a lot of stuff. Like I saw that you posted, um, the documentary crack on Facebook or somewhere the other day 
Latoya and my husband and I watched it and it was so helpful. And so there's a lot of like material out there. And just so having a posture of curiosity, trying to be someone who understands. And then, you know, I think you can get overwhelmed by all there is to know and all there is to understand, but just, just say, okay, like I'm going to, I'm going to make it a point to read something. And then I'm going to read that and sit with it and try to see what I have taken in with that. And then I'm going to go to the next thing. You can't read everything. You can't do everything all at once, but you can do little things and like, just make a point to, for that to be an important part of the process for you. And, and to find, I think, you know, to find friends who are, I'm so grateful for the friends who leaned in and did provide a place for me to ask honest questions or to struggle with it, to try to like work it out, um, to just seek out people to have those kinds of conversations with. Um, and just to know that um, you don't have to like, it doesn't all have to like, you don't have to figure it all out right away that this is a process. It's a, um, you know, it's, it's a journey and that, um, yeah, just to be curious. Yes. And thank you so much, Meredith. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I loved hearing, um, like I mentioned at the beginning, I love your heart for people. Um, and just your, your honest, um, yearning to just do better. Um, and not only for your family, but the community as a whole. Um, I love how your dog is just chilling. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'm back here while she's busy. (laughs) (laughs) But I just, I love, um, hearing your heart. And so thank you so much again for sharing with us. And so um, if people want to reach you, how should they contact you? Well, they can, I gave you my email address, so you're welcome to share that on your show notes or whatever, but also I I'm on Instagram, Meredith Copley, so they can reach me there. Well, thank you again. And you have a great rest of the day. Thanks Latoya. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. If you found value in this episode, please share it and use the hashtag GirlLiveUnleashed. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review. And as always, remember to break through anything to get clear, feel aligned, and be confident in living life to your fullest potential.